This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you. Hopefully you enjoyed your bank holiday weekend. And if you were out and about, maybe you headed to the jazz. How did you get on? Did you enjoy it? Was it great to see a number of uh, young people and old people and everybody together out and about again, enjoying themselves across the weekend? And if you were out, uh, let us know. I mean, we did see so many various videos on social media of queues outside certain clubs and bars. And if you were out, did you feel safe or did you not feel safe? Uh, I was out, as I mentioned, the Ken earlier on the breakfast show on Friday. Night and I felt everything was perfectly safe. There was uh, measures in place. There was a, pe- a lot of people out enjoying themselves, but simply it was great to see people back out again enjoying themselves and listening to various doctors across the weekend. They uh, feel at this stage, with so many people vaccinated, this is the, the time we have to live with what's going on around us. So if you were out and about, let us know. Did you feel safe and did you enjoy your weekend? And also ahead in the show this morning, shortly, we're going to hear about what is happening from the Climate Change Advisory Council. They have issued recommendations to the budget regarding carbon budgets, but like everything, the devil is in the detail. We'll discuss that very shortly. Also, we're going to hear how some people are waiting more than three hours for an ambulance in the Duhallow area because we have heard of unreasonable wait times in West Cork and North Cork or East Cork even over the last number of months. Duhallow now is feeling the effects as well from what's going on. Also, we're going to hear a warning from the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission on Christmas shopping. And while everybody is encouraged to shop online, so many retailers now and local shops have set up websites and then there are some items that people just simply can't purchase online or locally and they have to go online. So with that in mind, we'll be getting security tips on what to watch out for because there's a number of rogue traders have been set up online over the last year or so and they are out to catch people. We've seen the scams increase in the last year as more and more people 
people look towards online well this is something else traders claiming to be uh, somebody else are also claiming to have products for sale and if you, you know, can't find that item anywhere else why would you find it off uh, this certain website anyhow discussing that uh, this morning on the programme and while you mentioned there about shopping we're always told to shop around when it comes to your energy supplier or your insurance premiums well did you know that if you remain with your insurer for a long period that they slowly charge you more and more the longer you're with them when a new law is to be introduced to ban this it's called a loyalty penalty and you would think if you're with an insurance company for a long number of years they would look after you and discount you because you're a loyal customer now it seems to be the opposite anyhow uh, we'll chat about this to Peter Boland of the Alliance for Insurance Reform and also how we were told with the lack of claims over the last year that insurance premiums should reduce. Some have, some have not. We'll discuss that as well. We're going to look ahead to the Mallow Arts Festival underway this week and our regular show councillor Joe Heffernan will join us later on in the show. After 12.30 we'll continue our discussion on anxiety and your views are welcome as always. Uh, Bernie taking your calls this morning and comments to 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. But the Climate Change Advisory Council has issued its recommendations on carbon budgets to the government. Uh, but yes, the devil is in the detail when it comes to farming. And we know here in this area of Cork and right across the country, agriculture is a huge contributor to the economy. And not only for rural areas, but also for city areas. And what is the knock-on effect on what is proposed within uh, this climate change from the Advisory Council to the government? Well, Phelim O'Neill is a market specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. He's also a farmer himself and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Phelim. Uh, good morning, John Paul. And uh, thanks for joining us. First of all, yourselves at the Irish Farmers Journal, you have been looking into this and while uh, this is part of the fight against climate change, it will devastate the agricultural industry. I mean, looking at the figures here and what they have recommended, there will be huge job losses. Yeah, I think uh, we're talking about and using the terms like savage herd cuts and, and uh, jobs slashed uh, across the country. If this comes in at its most extreme. Uh, look, the, the issue of climate change, and, and there's always a temptation uh, that we will point the finger and say, well, look, farmers would say that, wouldn't they? And uh, the thing that we have to try and keep in mind here is that Ireland isn't something of a unique position. Uh, yes, there's a high level of our emissions come from agriculture, but that's simply because the first industrial revolution passed us by. We don't have heavy industry. We don't have mining. We don't have coal seams, etc. We don't have oil. We have small reserves of gas. And the reality is then agriculture has a disproportionately high share of the national emissions. It's only marginally, like the cattle herd is only 5% higher than it was back in uh, mid-1970s. So, you know, it's not something that has been expanding beyond control or anything like that. And the other point that has to be kept in mind here we're looking at this on a national level and that's fair enough, that is government policy but the thing that we have to keep in mind is that Ireland doesn't control the global climate uh, and that's why the COP26 summit that's coming up in Glasgow now from the end of the week where they try to find a global position and this is so important because the reality of life is if we reduce our dairy production here, our beef production sheep production etc, the reality is as things stand at the moment that simply transfers somewhere else in the world and the sad thing is from 
a climate point of view. It's actually transferring to parts of the world where the carbon footprint is higher than it is here. You know, the Irish dairy industry, along with New Zealand, is the most efficient in the world from the point of view of emissions per litre of milk output. That is fact. And that has been produced by the United Nations, by the way, not the Farmers Journal or anyone else with an interest in the industry. Similarly on beef, if we transfer beef production from Ireland to, say, for example, Latin American countries, as the, as the United Nations report uh, emphasised, it's twice the carbon footprint that it has here. And if we look at the situation, as Ireland releases this report, report yesterday, and it's in the context of Irish policy, and if we look across uh, the ocean and towards South America, and if we look at the Brazilian industry, the have a plan to expand their herd uh, by 40 million cattle over the next 10 years for 2030. And that's why we have to look at a solution here in a global context, not purely and isolated in an Irish context. And looking at the figures that you have released this morning, saying that 47% cut to the national herd are among the most extreme results of greenhouse gas reduction, the modelling that has come out on this, you're right to mention that other areas of the, the world will be looking at this. Some countries not as green as Ireland, not up in their animal welfare also like Ireland is. Do you think that the Ireland industry here when it comes to agriculture will lose out to other countries due to what is recommended? I think, you know, and the committee have produced the report. They've done what they were tasked to do. They were asked by government to see how they could achieve a 51% reduction. Uh, They have presented a scenario of proposals here, uh, our selection proposals, and now it comes to the decision, what do we want to do in terms of managing Ireland? And uh, the thing that we would highlight is, and look, the the reality is agriculture can make improvements. Uh, You know, we can uh, stretch ourselves anywhere, somewhere between the 10 and the 20% line uh, that is achievable without doing an economic damage in the process. And I think that's something we should look at because I know that's what New Zealand have done, for example. They have sent themselves a reduction target for 2030 of 10%. That's what our uh, Food Vision 2030 strategy uh, released back in August has produced as well. And the, the thing about uh, having savage cuts and swinging cuts across agriculture, it is an easy target, but the consequences, economic and social, across rural parts of Ireland are draconian. They're dramatic. And, you know, the, if you take and, and, and cut agriculture to its extreme levels uh, across the rural areas, you simply lead to mass depopulation, uh, movement of people towards our cities uh, and, and larger towns. And, you know, quite honestly, I don't think Cork has the housing capacity to deal with a huge influx of people, even if there are jobs in the immediate vicinity. The breakup of rural communities and the social cost of this is something that government have to decide within their policy making now that they have the report. They have the facts presented in front of them and there's nothing easy about climate change, by the way, and agriculture can't run away from its responsibilities, but we, we need a whole of society approach on this and remember that farmers are part of that society. Whatever hits come by way of transport costs, energy costs, etc., they will equally go to farmers as they will to every other citizen and the bit that we're highlighting here is that the ask on farmers be kept reasonable, that it's not going to the point where it does serious damage uh, for farmers themselves and for wider society. And it's a point there you mentioned regarding the whole of society. When we look at farmers, I mean, they do contribute into the local shops, into the local co-ops, into the local supermarkets, and that runs through the various towns and villages, not only here in Cork, but across the country. So uh, with that in mind, it will have a hit on every other industry locally. And also, when we are, I mean, the, the words, the national herd has been mentioned all weekends, our food production I mean, Phelan, we're, we're known as one of the best beef producers across the world. We've always been known as a country who produced our own food. And while environmental activists welcome this, 
are food producers concerned as well from that side of things that what we produce here outside of of the national herd that will be affected if farming goes the way it's going to go according to this uh, bill yeah. that's really going to be going through and, and John Paul, not, not just beef out here and that in Cork, their dairy is a hugely important sector as well. And uh, you're right, it's farmers that produce the raw material that goes into our creameries, that goes into our meat factories for further processing and adding value. And, you know, we think about the, the multinational inward investment as all very welcome and it's a very useful contributor to the economy. But the reality is that those businesses are located overseas. They have do a small portion of their business in Ireland for whatever reason. And then that goes. Uh, the ultimate circular economy, if you like, is the agri-food one, you know, the, the, the calf that's, that's, that's born in the farm or the or the, the cows that were milked this morning, they send the milk to the creamery and when a farmer gets the check from that uh, from a product that's processed then by several other neighbours uh, that are involved in the in the factory side of the business and all of that money then circulates and moves within the local economy. It is the, the ultimate, if you like, generating real wealth, growing real wealth from the resources that we have. And remember the only natural resource that Ireland has is grass and water, the things that are most required in livestock production. And it's why that we would be saying, you know, in terms of uh, making a recommendation on this, that to keep that in mind when we're dealing with the overall targets. And you're a farmer yourself. I mean, is it Tyrone you're based in? So you've had a rough couple of years with everything changing regarding to Brexit and and negotiations with the EU. And now what's coming down the road with this, and it's the same in in every country, they're all looking at similar models. Uh, For the ordinary farmer who's at home listening to this this morning and goes out every morning and every evening and throughout the day doing various jobs on the farm seven days a week, is it something that farmers will protest over? We saw protest only a few weeks ago. Will we see more? Uh, look, you know, uh, farmers are very concerned at the minute and uh, it's the only uh, tool that they have to express that frustration is by coming out in the streets. Now, farmers by their nature, they're not natural protesters. You know, they come out when there is a real genuine concern of some sort. And, and there's a series, the, the, thing, the, the trouble at the minute is there's a series of issues in farming uh, that is causing that anxiety there and stress. And from what uh, we can see from IFA, they certainly have been active and, and the other farm organisations as well in terms of making their displeasure felt and and I've no doubt look uh, further protest uh, cannot be ruled out you had a particularly significant one there in Cork uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, used to say farmers by their nature they're they're not it's not their default setting by any means to be out in the streets but if they have to and they feel strongly enough about something of course they will and very briefly we were speaking to farmers and fishermen over the last uh, five or six years about the future of farming and they were uh, bringing in their sons and daughters are trying to anyhow into the industry and that was a huge challenge because their uh, sons or daughters or whoever had no interests because of they, kn- they knew themselves in the future it would not be profitable and be very hard to make a, an income from farming. With this now coming out today it's going to be even harder isn't it? Well look it does uh, cause a, a, an issue no doubt in terms of that whole wider succession and how we use that but and, and this is why we would be asking you know policymakers to step back and look at this in its totality not just in the isolation of a set of figures because at the end of the day you know you know uh, data centers come and data centers go major multinational corporations move to wherever the best deal is the reality is in Ireland we have one great natural resource and that is the ability to grow grass uh, to 
to produce uh, milk and uh, beef, sheep meat, etc., uh, with amongst the lowest carbon footprint per kilo or per litre in the world. And surely that is something that we as a nation, as a country, have to develop and maximise to its potential, whilst at the same time working night and day to further minimise and further reduce the emissions that come from the sector. OK, Fenimal, we'll wait and see what happens over the next number of weeks on this. Thanks for joining us anyhow this morning to discuss uh, what has come out today and indeed across the weekend. Uh, Phelan O'Neill there, who's a market specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. A lot of people commenting on this this morning. First of all, Tony says, starts with cuts and cuts with the 5% of Irish farmers who have 20% of the Irish cattle herd. The industrial dairy beef, we need a carrot and stick approach to reducing the herd. An extinction type scheme, don't sacrifice the circular cows, says Tony on text. And Ross says, we only, uh, we here in Ireland are only uh, a tiny country speaking uh, for the whole world. We are not on top of the problem, so let's cop on before we have nothing left, says Ross. While Liz says, if we destroy farmers and agri-products then what have we left? Uh, Jerry in Carrigtool, uh, similar to Liz, says if we destroy our natural resources here in this country, then what do we do? Where do we go? Look what has happened with the fishing industry and what they've had to encounter over the last number of years. Are we going to do the same to the farmers? This is our own industry. We should leave it as it is. While Andy in Shanagari uh, says, I agree with your earlier comments made by Phelan. This is something we have in this country that has grown over a number and number of years, long before the state was ever formed. We need our own natural resources. We produce the best food in the country. Why do we always give away our natural resources in this country? If we privatise our own companies over the years like we have done, and now we are doing the same to farming, we need to keep something in this country that we produce. And he feels many farmers are diversifying and reacting to climate change, such as placing solar panels on their fields. So many have done this while also producing food. Uh, there can be a 50-50 approach to this, but we need to work together and understand that we need farming in this country, says Andy in Shanagari. The text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Your views are welcome on what has been advised to the government from on the Climate Change Advisory Council and what we spoke about there with Fane and O'Neill. You can call Bernie with your comments as well on 1850 333 103. It's Cork today with you until one o'clock. Our lines are open 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A big reaction to our conversation there regarding what the Climate Change Advisory Council has issued its recommendations on carbon budgets to the government and what it means for the agricultural industry. We spoke there uh, with Fane and Neil from the Irish Farmers Journal and a lot of people have mixed views on this but uh, first of all uh, a number of farmers who have been on and if you are a farmer and you want to have a chat with us uh, call us 1850-333-103 or if you're part of a farming group uh, that has views on this. Uh, a texter here who's a farmer says there's a lot of talk about climate change and carbon footprints and sustainability and the government are to blame here. Going back to 2008, they broke every rule in the milk quota book and they discriminated against the standalone dairy farmer and favoured the company farmer and the partnerships farmer. The new words, sustainability 
that just means big farmers, John Paul, a texter there, uh, his views on what is happening to 0862103103. And a lot of people feel farmers are diversifying and they are introducing models such as what Andy mentioned earlier in Shanagari, uh, solar panels on their land. So they, as, as um, Elizabeth is saying here on text, we still need to produce food in this country. If we go down the line of importing, then what is, or how is that good for climate change, says Elizabeth, on WhatsApp to 0862103103. Your viewers are welcome on that issue. We'll get to those across the show because a number of people are out this morning. More just saying that people don't understand how urgent the situation is. Uh, John Gibbons is an environmental commentator. He spoke earlier to our newsroom on this. The people immediately jumping in are the vested interest. Don't cut us, cut somebody else, don't cut us. The problem here is that we, we have a collective action problem, meaning there's no point in saying, well, you know, I'm not going to jump until the other guy jumps. Basically, the house is on fire um, we have to do whatever it takes. Your views are welcome. What do you make of the whole situation and where do we go from here? A text or WhatsApp 0862103103. But on the way, if you have been waiting for an ambulance in various parts of Cork, as we have heard so many stories over the last six months or so of unreasonable wait times, we're hearing more now. We heard from West Cork, East Cork and the city areas now. And we're hearing from the Dew Hollow area and how people are waiting more than three hours for an ambulance. We'll discuss that next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And there seems to be no change in the waiting times for ambulances in the Cork area. We have heard already over the past number of months from West Cork and also from East Cork and people waiting hours for an ambulance to arrive in their home. Well, Joe Hallow now is experiencing similar. And Deputy Michael Moynihan joins me on this. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, and thanks for joining us. I mean, this follows an incident in your area whereby one man was waiting for over three hours for an ambulance following a fall there. That's correct, yeah. Now, I, 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 I suppose I don't want to get into the personal stories, right? Uh, a number of cases <coughs> have been brought to my attention, uh, several cases where they have been waiting three hours, two hours, two and a half hours. And, you know... If you look at it, when somebody's critically ill and a GP um, says an ambulance needs to be called, and from the time that the ambulance is called to the time the, ta- the ambulance arrives, and the amount of time, now that's a very stressful period of time on the patient, it's a very stressful period of time on the family that are around them, or, or whatever the, the circumstances are. And all an awful lot of attention has been brought, of cases have been brought to my attention over the last while, Um to say that the waiting time they have for the ambulance. And, you know, we have always had this golden hour rule of, you know, from the time the person is deemed to need an ambulance to the time that they are in hospital, and they're saying that the critical first hour and so forth, that's going out the window completely because they're waiting two and two and a half hours for it. And it's, you know, it is simply not acceptable. Now, I know myself, and I have been, uh, both a patient and with a patient in the back of the ambulance over many years. And I know the work that the paramedics do and the amount of frustration they have in not being able to get to the patient in time. You know, these people are uh, paramedics and advanced paramedics and have excellent training and are second to none in the way they do their work. But it simply isn't, you know... Going back over the last number of years, we had a major battle in our hands to ensure that the ambulance that was taken out of Mill Street was retained in that area, that there was an, an ambulance retained. And, it, you know, for the entire Duhalla region, 
you know, we're talking about an ambulance to take us from. Sometimes it's a Tralee General Hospital, sometimes it's a CUH, but sometimes we get instances that the ambulance has to come from uh, Limerick or from Innes or some part to, to a patient in the North Cork to Hollow region. And it, by any stretch of the imagination, it's not totally and absolutely not acceptable. And my fear is that we are, you know, having engaged with the uh, the CHO4 and also with the uh, ambulance services that the urgency of the situation as we face into the winter is not being met by an adequate response. Um, I raised it uh, in uh, the Dáil a week and a half ago, outlining my grave concerns in relation to it, and I will continue to do so. I'm seeking a meeting with the management of the HSC and the National Ambulance Services, uh, I suppose, to outline uh, what's not acceptable and to seek what is being done to rectify the situation. Because as you mentioned, there are ambulances who have already gone to a patient and might be uh, dispatching that patient. They're, they could be in, as you say, Limerick or Tralee. By the time they get back to an area like Kenturk, then they have to travel another hour to get to CUH or indeed Tralee again. So you're adding on more time to the initial call out. And also we keep hearing this from ambulances that are based in a certain area, but also are in another county. We heard that from the Castletown Bear area where whereby that ambulance was actually in Killarney, I think it was, when there was a call out locally because they were the only one available to go. And then you have the example of when they go to a hospital, they have to stay there until the patient is admitted. So all that is leading to an increased weight for ambulances. I mean, can that be changed? Well, certainly I don't see any... uh, When uh, the ambulance crew, the paramedics, take a patient in from the ambulance into the the CUH or into Tralee, into the accident and emergency, I think it's quite right that, you know, they stay with their patient until they're handed over to the the hospital staff in there. I I don't see... Obviously, the issue there is the workload for those that are Mm. in the accident and emergency and the volume of work that they do and the amount the speed that they are travelling to try and cover what is needed to be done within the within the accident and emergency. And the lack of resources, uh, that, that, that's the main reason for this. Uh, the management, you know, the, the, the lack of resources, uh, the, the, the people that are working there, the teams of people that are working there, be they nurses or doctors or everything, they're flat to the mat trying to, to, to do their very best, but the resources are there. Like, my fear is here, and, and I think that you, it's a joint up thinking, right? The ambulance you know, and in a lot of cases, right, that families or communities, uh, when a person may, is diagnosed that they need to go to hospital, some people are taking them themselves, um, families are taking them themselves, if that is possible, depending on the diagnosis or the um, the seriousness of the illness of the, of the patient. But uh, I suppose all of that needs to be put together so that there is a clear, you know, no delays within the system because any delays within the system are clogging up the ambulances and holding the ambulances from what they should be doing is ensuring that a patient that is sick in the community, the patient that is deemed by the, uh, the I suppose, the GPs and the healthcare professionals in the community needing an ambulance, uh, that that is, uh, that they are, primary role is to get to that call within the shortest possible space of time. And, you know, the HSE, they talk about, you know, the strokes and the prevention of strokes and the prevention of, you know, the golden hour in their their advertising over the, the while. And this is completely contrary to that. This is not best practice. And as you have said, 
in Duhalla, in North Cork, over the last while. We have seen huge delays in terms of the ambulances. And I think it's totally and absolutely unacceptable. I have raised the issue and I endeavour to try and see what is causing the delays and why what can be done to make sure that it is rectified. And can they look into the ambulances arriving at the likes of Mallow Hospital and Bantry? We're mentioning CUH here and Tralee, but the local hospitals in the area, can they not take people in again? I know they used and it was stopped, but would that help? Well, I think that would be a massive help. And many of the paramedics um, uh, themselves have been in touch with me, um, paramedics and advanced paramedics, you know, who have huge experience in relation to getting a clinical impression of a patient, you know, maybe not diagnosing, but, you know, having a clear indication of, of, of uh, from their experience, I suppose, from, from their learning and from their uh, on-call on, uh, experience. And, you know, because Mallow is not taking patients from uh, the ambulances, it's only GP referral only, I think that's a major mistake in our community. I mean, Mallow Hospital, uh, and I have been a patient there a few times, and I have had many family members' patients there. Mallow Hospital is a fine example of of, uh, of a hospital, and it should be broadened out. There should be more, uh, and that would take an awful lot of pressure off the city hospitals. You know, why are we shoving everything into the city? Why can't we bring it out to Mallow? And I think that that is one of the major issues. You know, I have... Um, a number of correspondence from both uh, patients and indeed from medics uh, in terms of Mallow Hospital. Um, and now with the new extension going up, and, you know, it's fantastic to see the building going up because it has been long since, you know, the future Mallow Hospital. Uh, but it now mean, needs to have the resources available that can take a patient. And I believe that that would be one of the steps to ensuring that there wouldn't be such a delay for um, ambulances within the communities. Uh, also, we need to look at the National Ambulance Services and need to look at the, at, uh, you know, what is in there? Why is there such a delay at the moment? Why, what is causing the problems there? And I need to get an explanation from them as to, you know, the cause over the last couple of months. And as you know yourself, <coughs> we are heading into a very busy um I suppose, uh, period for, you know, different, uh, the winter months are always busier than the summer months in terms of medical emergencies. And we want to ensure that, you know, my fear is that come the middle of December right up to the 1st of February, that there would be more pressure on the system and further delays for critically ill patients within our community. And also regarding the National Ambulance Service and how they calculate when an ambulance arrives to a person, I mean, they're calculating it by when the operator takes the call. That's not a genuine calculation. That doesn't reflect what's happening on the ground. Absolutely. I, I like, you know, in, in the debate, you know, the Cancona interjected and rarely does, but says that, you know, that's uh, ridiculous. That is not. That's like <clears throat> from the time the ambulance is called to the time the ambulance crew arrive at the patient. That is the time. That is the time from the moment they're called. To the, nothing else counts. It's as fast as you can get the paramedics and the advanced paramedics out to the critically ill patient. That is the time that should be calculated. And that is the outcomes because the the better outcomes are there, the faster that it is brought to the attention of, uh, you know, the, that the paramedics are there, that, that they can make, you know, their patient as comfortable as possible, then transfer them to the, the hospital. 
it has better outcomes for the patient uh, long term. And I think that any times or any, you know, notional times or anything else that's put out there, the important thing is to get the patient who's critically ill from their home or the community, uh, wherever they, they, if they've fallen or whatever, wherever they get the, uh, as fast as possible to a hospital setting so that they can receive the proper treatment. Okay, well, we'll wait and see what they come back with on that. I mean, that that is one of the bigger issues on the calculation of those times because it gives an incorrect impression and they can say they are doing the job when they physically are not. And I mean, that the teams on the ground and in the hospitals can only do so much with the under-resourcing going on there. So we'll wait and see what they come back with. Very finally, Michael, you'll be aware, um, I'm sure this morning, our texts and phone lines are extremely busy on what has come out across the weekend on the pollution reduction targets set to be made legally binding by the government. And this is all to do with the uh, Climate Change Advisory Council. Uh, farmers very unhappy. What's your view, especially there in Duhallow, which is a huge uh, and has a huge farming community? It has, yeah. I think, you know, we have to be very clear, right? Farming is our primary indigenous industry. Agriculture, food production. Food production, and we are producing a world-class food. Farmers who have taken a huge amount of regulations over the years, over the last 25 years in particular, and conform to all the regulations and, you know, have been at the coalface of producing a world-class food. And we have to look then, you know, we look at the population of the world at the moment and we look at the poverty that's there. We look at the food deprivation, the amount of people that are actually hungry in this world. And we have to be always mindful to say that if we stop food production on the island of Ireland, is it going to be replaced with a less environmentally friendly method? A less environmentally friendly method. There is no doubt that Irish farming is very efficient in terms of monetary value, in terms of production of it, and in terms of environmental impact as well. They have been and have changed their practices considerably over the last quarter of a century. And I think that we have to have a very realistic debate about food production. It's very easy for any group to jump on either of the groups, uh, you know, saying farmers should do this or the transport section should do that. We have to look at the industry. We look at what's being produced there, we look at how efficient they are in producing it, and we have to make sure that we are not sacrificing our efficient, clean, top-quality food production for a less in in another part of the world and having further hunger. You know, over the last, you know, half century and even going beyond that, you know, food poverty has been always been highlighted in various parts of the world without adequate food supply. And we have to make sure that we are producing food and that we are producing, and, you know, farming practices and farmers are willing to change, but they can't take all the heat in relation to it. It has to be a sensible uh, suggestion. I saw I heard some of the debate this morning and some of the discussion this morning in relation to agriculture, but I would contend we have world-class food production. We have world-class farmers who have conformed to huge regulations over the last quarter of a century and that we are producing it far more environmentally friendly than other parts of, of this planet, which would be taking the gap if we stop producing food. And as we know, targets are going to be published in the coming weeks for each various sectors affected. Uh, and I agree, being the, the biggest one, it would seem at the moment, uh, from the unhappiness we're receiving on this. Uh, will government TDs like yourself uh, in those areas, such maybe more rural areas like Duhalla, will you go against what the government set out on this? Or do you think the government won't go as far as what they are being advised? 
Well, the report came out yesterday. There will be an intense debate in relation to it. And the points that I've made to you, I will be arguing extremely strongly. And I have always argued that I, I am a practicing farmer myself. You know, I know mm. the limitations of farming. I, 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 and I understand farming uh, in it. But I will be certainly making my points that I've made to you very clearly. We are producing a world-class foods, and I would contend as as environmentally friendly as anywhere in the world. And if we are to stop production, are we going to replace it with less environmentally friendly methods in other parts of the world? That's not acceptable to me. And also, it means we have you know a huge indigenous industry that we need to protect, and we need to make sure that it is there into the future, and that young people are involved in farming uh, right through into the next decade. We'll see what happens over the next uh, few weeks, especially when those targets are published. For the moment, though, uh, Michael, thanks for joining us this morning. That is uh, Cork Northwest Fianna Fáil Deputy Michael Moynihan. And your views are welcome on that. 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Christmas, even though Halloween is approaching this weekend, and I know people don't like to talk about Christmas before Halloween, but people are looking to Christmas for their shopping. And we're going to hear a warning from the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission on Christmas shopping next. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. The Competition and Consumer Protection Commission is advising consumers who are planning their Christmas shopping early this year to follow a number of simple steps to protect themselves from rogue traders. Granny Griffin is Director of Communications with the CCPC and joins me this morning. Good morning, Granny. Good morning, Jean-Paul. And thanks for joining us. Now, many consumers, they're trying to beat the rush and we are hearing about shipping delays, which is having some effect on stocks. So for some, they really want to get a product and they want to get it as soon as possible. But the fear is they'll go anywhere to get that product. And that's where these rogue traders come in. That's right. And I mean, I should say that in terms of our engagement with both consumers and traders, we're not seeing reports yet of stock being um, being out of stock yet. So there's still time for people to do their Christmas shopping. But we are aware that there are those discussions going on about potential delays with both COVID and Brexit. And it just may be more difficult as you get closer to Christmas to access certain products. So what we're saying to people is if you are to if you are shopping, do be aware you have consumer rights, particularly when you're shopping in the EU. But still, there are certain steps that you can take, particularly when you're shopping online, to protect yourself um, and make sure that you don't avoid losing any money this Christmas. So the first thing we'd really say to people is be careful of who you shop from. So really, like, don't shop from like unreputable retailers. So if it's somebody that you haven't shopped with before, maybe it's a website you've never heard of before, you just clicked on a link on social media, just really take the time to try and see, is the, are the details on this website clear? Like, do I know who I'm shopping from? Where is their address? What country are they located in? You know, is it clear how they're shipping to Ireland? Is it, are they shipping from Europe or are they shipping from China? And what are they saying about, like, delivery timeframes to Ireland? So that's really important to check all of that out. And then also just take it a little step further and do some, um, like, research. Have a look and see if you can find any reviews online about the company, see what other people are saying. And, of course, always bear in mind that when looking through reviews, they're a great way to get um, independent perspectives about a company. They can sometimes be manipulated. So if you see all five-star reviews about a company, perhaps that's something that's maybe just too good to be true. 
And then, of course, if you're online, as you say, there there's so many things to watch out for. The big thing that people still need to watch out for is the actual website, because there, there's so many various names going around now for, for websites to look if it's secure or not. There is. So with a website, what we'd say to you is, first of all, just because it ends in .ie, that doesn't mean that the company or the, the, the warehouse that they're shipping from is based in Ireland. So do take steps to make sure you know if you're buying from an Irish company, an EU company, or from a company um, that's based elsewhere in the world. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is then when you're actually making your payment, that's when you're most vulnerable. So do have a look at the website um, URL up in the address bar at that point. There should be a little padlock symbol at that point to show that you're going through a secure method of payment. Um, And if that isn't there, we would advise you not to go any further. And then for payment online, you have to be really careful on on how you pay. I mean, I know some people actually go and get credit cards whereby you only top up the credit card with so much money. So if there was any fraud activity, it wouldn't be on their main debit or credit card. So that's something to watch out for as well and how you decide to pay online. Exactly. I mean, there's a whole kind of spectrum activity that we're kind of warning consumers about this Christmas. So in some cases, it's maybe businesses that are over-promising um, certain goods, but won't actually have them delivered in time for Christmas. But they're still a, a business they're there and you won't have an issue getting your money back. But in some cases, there's also just businesses that are outright scams, you know, and they are looking for ways to take your money. So it's really important that you think about how you're paying. So as you mentioned, some people will use a prepaid debit card or um, in order to make a purchase. So that limits the amount of money that's on the card if anyone does get the details. But what we don't say to people is like, do pay with a card. So make sure you're paying with some form of card like debit or credit so you've access to a chargeback facility in the case that it is a fraud. And really never do a person-to-person transfer. And like that might sound like the kind of thing that people would take as a given, but we still see reports coming in from people where they're saying, oh, actually the business asked me to pay by bank transfer or else the business asked me to pay um, on a person-to-person transfer over a payment platform like Revolut. So if you do a person-to-person transfer as if you are buying from an individual, well then really you're do- you're, you're, you are in fact buying from an individual and you don't have the same consumer rights as you would have when you buy from a business. Oh, so beware of that. So uh, uh, that's one that I wasn't aware of if you're, because uh, a lot of people would use Revolut for online. So that that's one yeah. to be to watch out for. it's totally fine to use your Revolut card as mm-hmm. a prepaid debit card. Yeah. So put in the number and, you know, do the transaction. That's totally standard. It's when someone asks you to look them up on Revolut and just do a direct transfer to them as an individual, perhaps maybe using their mobile phone number. That's when you're doing a person-to-person transfer as opposed to paying using your actual Revolut mm. card. Using your Revolut card is actually a really common way for people to shop nowadays and there's, we don't have any concerns around that as a method of payment. Yeah, that's a good tip. And very finally, something else which is a very good idea. Uh, while we all receive the goods then in the post or they are delivered by courier, uh, some people, and we all do this, you just put them into a room and they're left in the box. No harm to check it just to make sure what has arrived is in the box. Absolutely. It's so easy to do, particularly if you're trying to, to hide packages away for Christmas, to just pop them away still in the packaging. But we would say to consumers, really do take them out, have a look and check. One, make sure they're not faulty, make sure your toys have the see but also make sure that you do like them and that, that you're what you were expecting. If you buy online from the EU, you'll always have a minimum um, change of mind return window of 14 days. That's part of your consumer rights. 
So it's really important that you do check your products and make sure that you're satisfied with them while that window is still open. So you have the opportunity to return them before Christmas if they're not what you were expecting. And you mentioned there about the EU, if you are buying items sold from the UK because they have left the EU, those rules don't apply. That's right. Your consumer rights don't automatically extend into the UK and we are also aware that there is um, just a much more complex delivery process when you're buying from items that are shipped from the UK because it is now outside of the EU. So if you are buying maybe something of high value, something that's very important to you and you really need to be confident that it's going to turn up and be delivered on time, it is worth your while trying to see if you can find an EU supplier as opposed to a UK one. Well, uh, best of luck I mean, to anybody who, who is online because it is, uh, as you say, reputable websites are okay, but there's so many out there. And, and we always, obviously, hear support local. So if you can purchase it local, do that. But I know with certain toys and certain things, people may have to go online. So uh, the best of luck and, and be careful online for the moment. Grania, thanks for joining us this morning with those tips. Thanks very much. Uh, that is Grania Griffin there, who's the Director of Communications with the CCPC. They are the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Our lines are open, 1850-333-103. Uh, Bernie taking your comments across the show. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. It's Cork Today with you until one o'clock. It's John Paul McNamara in for Patricia Messenger for the midterm. And hope you are hopefully you were enjoying the midterm. I'm sure a lot of people uh, trying to decide what to do for the children over the midterm if you have any ideas you can put them our way as well I saw a lot of pictures over the weekend from LEP of the Scarecrow Festival there which takes part every year it's always a great success so well done to everybody there in LEP so if you were looking for something to do you could take a drive to LEP and check out all the various scary objects they have there on the lead up to Halloween anyhow your calls or comments are welcome 1850 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 ahead in the programme. We will be looking ahead to the Mallow Arts Festival, which is underway this week in Mallow. And also, as we're always told to shop around, we're going to hear uh, how now a new ban is going to come in. And this ban is going to basically stop your insurance premium increasing if you're with the same insurer for a number of years. The insurance company puts in a so-called loyalty penalty. Now, you would think if you're a loyal customer to uh, any company, but an insurance company, that they would reward you if you had no claims or anything, rather than putting a penalty on you for being loyal. But they are doing that. Uh, and we're going to chat with the Alliance for Insurance Reform on that ban that is due to come in uh, and indeed how even though there's been a reduction in claims over the last while the insurance premiums still are not gone down by as much as they should have yes they, some are going down some are not uh, but we'll discuss that very shortly with Peter Boland your views are welcome on that but a lot of calls and comments coming into us on what we've been discussing over the first hour of the programme on the ambulance wait times and also uh, what has come out across the weekend and indeed uh, this morning as well with regards to the Climate Change Advisory Council and what they are advising the government to do uh, for the next number of years regarding carbon budgets. Now, uh, the farming community is one of the sectors that will be hit worse with this and the impact and the knock-on effect that will have then to the economy in Ireland and a lot of calls and comments in uh, regarding that situation. First of all, a texter here says that there is no fear of farmers. 60% grants for any buildings and grants for cattle from the EU 
What do the workers get? Nothing. Only tax, tax and tax, says that texter. While Philip says the night rates derogation, which permits intensive farmers to keep even more cattle, has fuelled Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions. It ought to be abolished. It only drives on big industrial farmers and it destroys the family farm, says Philip. While Mike says, why don't the cattle slurry be collected by a co-op like milk is and the gas used for heating and the dry matter used for compost. Mike says he's aware of a farmer in his area who collects the gas from his slurry and sells it to the energy suppliers and he is sure there are others doing the same right across the country. So that could be something when it comes to changing things for the better regarding the environment. And Martin is in Mitchellstown and Martin says why are they cutting down the forests in Peru and making more room for cattle when they don't want us to have have cattle here. It all makes no sense whatsoever, uh, says Martin in Mitchellstown. And um, another Martin, uh, in, not in Mitchellstown, but elsewhere in the county, says, when it comes to climate change, China and India and the Russians, they are just laughing at the likes of us here in Ireland with our government's climate change. It's just ridiculous, uh, says Martin. And staying on climate and the knock-on effect that is having, I suppose, in some way with the carbon tax, Finbar is in Banning and he says the price of fuel, first of all, and the utility bills are going up all the time. The only way to help customers is to reduce fat. In England, it is only 5% and now they are talking about scrapping it altogether. Our government needs to reduce VAT on petrol and on the electricity bills and on petrol, as you mentioned there, Fimber, and there, every time we speak about that from any consumer motorist or any uh, somebody like the AA, they always mention the amount of tax we pay when we go to the petrol or diesel pumps but and we'll discuss this on the show uh, further tomorrow but it's regarding if you're going along to the petrol pumps at the moment motorists are facing a bill of more than 100 euros to fill their car as petrol prices have hit record highs now and there's fear that this will continue right across the winter because it seems the petrol prices could and will rise even further by the end of the year. A price at one petrol station uh, up the country has gone as far as 173.9 and if you were to fill up there with a 60 litre tank it would mean it would cost you around 100 euros to fill up your tank and I mean if you have a a habit of going into a petrol station and uh, filling it up by 30 euro or 50 euro it's interesting to see what return you get now on your fuel if you fill up every single week with 50 euros uh, the, the return you're getting it isn't going up as high as it was and if you are filling up your tank if you're one of these people who commutes a lot and you just religiously when it, the actual fuel goes to the empty you go to the nearest petrol station you top it up you fill up your tank interesting to see the cost of your fill up because usually for me it would be around 50 euro or so it over the last while has snuck up to 60 and at the weekend because what I do is I just wait until it goes down to the very end and then I fill up the, the tank and that will do me for a week or so uh, and then at the weekend when I topped up it was 70 euro to fill the tank 
70 euro, which usually would be 50 euro a week. It's now gone to 70 euro a week. So how many others are facing that increase and probably hitting commuters more than people who were maybe working nearby or who are lucky enough to have their uh, workplace nearby them. But if you're commuting, uh, you will be noticing a huge increase in your petrol or indeed your diesel top up. And think about it, a lot of people, uh, while we all love to be living near our workplace, people who have been born and raised wherever they're born and raised have had to move away from work or else have had to purchase a house far away from their workplace because they simply can't afford, for example, the city prices and are living in towns outside the city uh, away from the workplace. So it is having a huge knock-on effect and we're going to see uh, more of this, it seems, between now and the the of the year. But anyhow, we'll discuss that tomorrow on the show in more detail with the AA. But your views are welcome on that. You can email us overnight, corktoday at c103.ie on your examples or you can call Bernie as well, 1850 It's something we're all going to notice, I'm sure, over the next while. But it is shocking. It's an extra cost on all of us and it might be an extra 20 or 30 euro, but that does have a knock-on effect on your budgeting for the whole week. And on the ambulance delays, we heard earlier how that in Duhallow, there has been a number of people who were now waiting a long, maybe three hours for an ambulance, but certainly an hour or two. And we've heard this from other parts of Cork as well in East Cork and West Cork over the last number of months. Well, on this, Morris is in Bantir. And Morris was at CUH lately. And this is a point we did push earlier when we were discussing the issue to the Cork Northwest Finafall Deputy Michael Moynihan. And this does need to be looked at. But Morris has a good point on this because when he was in CUH, he saw five ambulances waiting in the queue. Now, they need specialist teams, says Morris, within the hospitals to accept the patients from the ambulances and then set them free to go out again to other calls. Because if you have an ambulance bringing a patient to the hospital and they're waiting there, then that is having a knock-in effect to those who are waiting in other areas for an ambulance. Uh, that's a good idea and, and something hopefully that they will work towards Morris in Bantir and Annis and Mallow and saying there was a patient taken from Mallow to the Mercy last Friday night. Now, they could do nothing for him in the Mercy as they needed information from Mallow Hospital. Uh, The poor man was in pain for the weekend until a department opened in Mallow again this morning that could provide that information to the hospital, to the Mercy Hospital that is. Uh, Says Anna Mallow, that's that's an awful situation to be in if they're waiting for uh, a certain information. I always presume that, no, maybe it's something to do with that cyber attack earlier on in the year. Maybe that that is still having a knock-on effect but I presume that on the system they use once the information is inputted on that system no matter what hospital you were in across Ireland your information is in the HSE system so if you're in Mallow or Bantry or Tralee or CUH or wherever once they put in your date of birth and details your MRN number as they call it uh, that your details will come up but maybe not Uh, Maybe it doesn't work that way or maybe things aren't the same as they were uh, following uh, that attack uh, on the HSC earlier in the summer. Anyhow, um, Anne, thank you for your your call on that. The reality of what is happening on the ground when it comes to being taken to a hospital in the ambulance and the delays and the knock-on effect that happens. And then we were speaking about the weekends and with all the bars open and restrictions more or less lifted, uh, nearly uh, lifted anyhow, uh, a lot of people were out and about and we were asking if you were out and about, did you 
you enjoy it? Did you feel safe? Well, Mandy says, yes, Mandy was out at the weekend and it was great to see people enjoying themselves, she says. Now, I did feel safe where I was and if we had to move on and go somewhere else in other bars, we also felt safe. So Mandy's saying every place she went to at the weekend uh, seemed to be adhering to the rules. Uh, she was in the city at the Jazz Festival and she says, I think at this stage we have to live our lives, but yet be careful. And this is something that people will have to live with. But again, it's up to ourselves. If we went into an establishment that we did not feel was safe, then we would have left. But luckily for us, everywhere we went to was safe and it was great to meet people again out and about and great to see people smiling and having fun, uh, says Mandy on text to 0862103103. While Alice on text has a different view, Alice says, I have concerns after seeing the queues outside the clubs over the weekend and outside bars. I do have concerns for the figures. What will the figures be in relation to COVID for the rest of this week? Is the vulnerable in society I fear who may get sick again because of everybody out and about socialising so two mixed views there uh, Mandy delighted was out felt safe thought it was great to be out and about and uh, feels we just just move on now with things while Alice uh, having a different view is very concerned at the way things are going and she feels the vulnerable are going to lose out on this your views are welcome if you were out and about at the weekend let us know how you got on you can text or whatsapp 086-2103-103 or you can call Bernie on 18 18- 53331033 on the way we're going to discuss that issue about being a loyal customer to your insurance company C103 jobs and on today's job spot, we have opportunities for a qualified industrial maintenance electrician wanted for the Boherbui area. You can apply by November the 5th to ted at ingredientsolutions.net. General operatives are wanted for a scaffolding company in the West Cork area. Send your CV to info at westcorkscaffolding.ie. And Dan Seaman Motors have vacancies for a junior and senior parts person. You can email your applications to jur at Dan Seaman in motors.ie or call 087-9347-100. You get these details and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 The Cabinet has agreed on legislation to ban insurance companies from imposing what is known as lull. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Penalties on consumers. Peter Boland of the Alliance for Insurance Reform joins us this morning on this to discuss more. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, John Paul. Loyal Customers, you would think, Peter, companies would cherish them, but it seems that they're not, that they're slowly increasing their prices. At one time, maybe companies would cherish uh, people who stay with them for years, but not anymore. No, and, and from the many calls we get about this issue, John Paul, it's clear that um, the, the average citizen still believes that loyalty is a virtue. Um, but what has been demonstrated by the central bank is that uh, insurers see loyalty as a weakness to be exploited. Um, if you stay uh, for a number of years with an insurer, uh, then you are going to be hit with increases. Uh, and to be honest with you, at this stage, it has been so well published, uh, publicised rather, that if you do hang around with the same insurer, then uh, you, you, to be honest, you have yourself to blame. Because shopping around is the only way of countering uh, this issue right now. But going back to what you talked, you mentioned there, uh, John Paul. This we're a bit bemused by this legislation. Like this has been identified quite some time ago, and all the legislation is committing to doing is commissioning a report from the central bank sometime in 2023 on the back of the central bank banning this. Uh, the process of price walking next year. So there's really no rush on government in doing this and we were kind of surprised at the fanfare that that went with it. There is another measure in there um, as well about the the amount of money that insurers deduct from payments uh, to uh, take account of state uh, aid and that's to do with the the whole business interruption side. But again, uh, it's it's about a report and gathering information. So there's not an awful lot uh, that's of any practical uh, benefit in here. And really the context to this is that the businesses and voluntary groups that are being hammered uh, by the current insurance crisis and are still seeing their premiums go up uh, by an average of 15% uh, will not see anything in this bill that's going to address that issue. So while you will have consumers who may always stick with a, a certain car insurance company and have done so, and as you say, it, it's up to you to move. And if you are seeing higher premiums, which you think, again, if you're loyal, you shouldn't be getting that penalty. But if they are, you can always move elsewhere. You mentioned businesses. There's a lot of businesses, Peter, as you know, who just simply can't move to another insurance company because there's no one else there to insure them. A lot of this could be coming towards public liability. So are, they're also caught with this. So you're saying with everything going on with this uh, certain legislation that it might not change anything for those? No, no, we, we'd be pretty clear about that. Uh, there's other legislation on the way, particularly on issues such as rebalancing the duty of care, which is applicable to, to all occupiers, which is far more important. And we would be quite frustrated to think that this bill would be getting the attention it's getting. Uh, and the resources that it's getting uh, when we still haven't seen uh, the uh, 
general scheme for the bill on duty of care. Uh, that should be getting far more priority. Likewise, with the reform of the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, uh, we haven't seen the general scheme for that yet. Um, and likewise, for an insurance fraud database, this is a project that government acknowledged in 2017, but it's been sitting on its hands ever since. Uh, so the the really big ticket items need to be addressed, uh, need to be prioritised um, in ways which will deliver benefits to policyholders. And do you think they're prioritising this particular one because the fact that there'll be no major change while the others, they know uh, they will face a lot of backlash from the insurance companies? Well, I suppose our concern is that uh, this is a low-hanging fruit. Uh, the others will undoubtedly be harder work uh, for a number of reasons. Um, uh, but we'd hate to think that this would be seen as some sort of victory for policyholders uh, when it's virtually neutral. Uh, in terms of its impact. Um, We would like to see the hard yards done over the next few months because uh, I've spoken to yourself and Patricia before about the fact that there are 37 sectors, 38 now actually, that we've identified that either cannot get cover right now or are down to their last underwriter. And they need urgent action in order to make sure that uh, as the recovery from the pandemic starts, uh, that they're in a position to help it along. And as you mentioned, there are other areas of the insurance industry that does need reforming and does need to be looked at. I mean, one of those, we have seen a drop in payouts by the way of claims over the last year or so. But still, uh, when it looks at the cost of insurance, that still hasn't changed that much. We, some people have seen a reduction in their policies, but some are still more or less the same or have increased. Will we ever see a saving uh, from the insurance companies passed on to the consumer? That's the that's $64,000 question, to, so to speak. Um, the research, the ongoing research that we're carrying out would suggest that motorists are seeing reduction, uh, averaging about 10% according to our research. That would tie in quite closely with the uh, figures from the Central Statistics Office. So we're pretty confident about that. Uh, we're equally confident that policyholders on liability insurance, which is the one that volunteering community groups, charities and SMEs have to have, uh, is not going down. In fact, the average increase is 15%. Now, there there are some contrasts between the two markets. First of all, on motors, there's very healthy uh, competition. Um, so if you go out and look for quotes, typically you'll be able to get two or three quotes at least, uh, and hence there's a competitive element to it. But as you've identified, very often now when you go out looking for a liability quote, uh, you're doing well to get one quote. And in a situation like that, I, I've seen several letters from bro- brokers dated this year which acknowledge that the main reason that premiums still go up is because there's no competition in the market. So we do need new competition to come into Ireland, but is it because of what's happening here? Is that what is stopping other insurance companies from setting up here in Ireland? Well, it would seem this reform is coming slowly. We've got some key reforms over the line uh, this year, so and particularly the introduction of the new judicial guidelines that you've referred to already are starting to see an impact on the kind of awards that are being handed out. Um, in this regard, the insurance industry is moving more like a, an oil tanker than a speedboat, and it is competition 
that will speed up uh, the kind of reductions that policyholders deserve at this stage. And will we ever see that happening? I mean, if you look at the UK and if you ever look at UK TV, I mean, the amount of insurance companies, the amount of different car insurance companies and home insurance companies you see advertised. And then if you come to Ireland, we we do have a lot of insurance companies here, but a lot of what you see are piggybacking off uh, main insurance companies. So it could be the likes of Allianz or Aviva underwrite those. It's more actual companies we need rather than just a brand. It's underwriting capacity and the government has acknowledged this. They've established an insurance competition office. Its job is to get out there into global markets and get more underwriting capacity into Ireland. That's fine, but it needs to happen really quickly. Mm. And focusing on bills like the one that we've been talking about uh, is really just a distraction when the priority is getting additional cover into the market so that there's competition, which in turn leads to price has been reduced to sustainable levels. Okay, well, hopefully we'll get competition sooner rather than later to change things up. And if you're a loyal customer to an insurance company, uh, well, time to chop around or otherwise uh, that loyalty penalty could be already hitting you. Maybe it will change with that legislation. We'll have to wait and see for the moment, Peter. uh, Thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks, John Paul. Uh, that is Peter Boland there. He is from the Alliance for Insurance Reform on, first of all, the loyalty penalty there we spoke about, but also what will happen and what changes are needed within the insurance company. And have you noticed a reduction in your insurance premium? I know before when we spoke with uh, Peter on this, some people had, some people had not, uh, and some people had changed their car, and that's why they got a reduction. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850 333 103. Or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And Jim has been on uh, via WhatsApp and he says, Hi, John Paul. I'm just wondering what the engineers in Cork County Council idea is of widening footpaths at junctions, making it more difficult and dangerous for vehicles, especially lorries trying to take corners like in Kenturk. At the moment near the bridge, which the lorry went through, and into a river earlier this year and the road to Kilbrin by the Adele Quinn Hall as I drove up there this morning and a lorry coming from the Mala side he had to wait for me to drive by before he took the bend on the bridge and this was due to the wider footpath I couldn't keep in any further and God forbid two lorries meet at that point and can more accidents happen there? Uh, it is in a situation where accidents are waiting to happen I would love to hear an engineer explain why they extend our footpaths onto the roads to make it more difficult for drivers, especially at junctions like I outlined in Canturk, says Jim on WhatsApp to 0862103103 and that is something that is happening in every town. I've noticed that in any town where they have done works, they have done that. They have widened the footpaths and I think as a part of a town regeneration scheme whereby they are going around to all the towns across Cork County and that is what is happening there resurfacing roads uh, they're widening footpaths and they're they're changing the course of the road as in there could be a cycle lane introduced as well in some areas now, I'm not too sure if it's to reduce cars from coming into a town but when you look at local towns here in Cork and there is no other way to get around only the car uh, you know there is buses obviously but buses mainly are going to uh, the, the cities and other towns and the you know, timetable won't suit everybody to be waiting for a bus I know you have private operators and you have the local link uh, but mainly if people want to get something fast in the town uh, they will use that car uh, so I mean that's the reason I thought first why they were widening footpaths but is it to make the towns more friendly for pedestrians uh, we'll have to look into that and we'll see what, um, what 
the council say I'm not too sure if we get an engineer to explain it with us or not but anyhow we'll check it out with them uh, but I, I, I do think it's something to do with that regenerational programme that was doing the rounds over the last two to three years um, but yeah if, are you like Jim do you think all these footpaths that are being widened are just going to lead to more accidents and then if you have trucks trying to get around the town they have no other way to get around only go uh, through a town we don't have bypasses everywhere uh, so when they try and get around a town they find it impossible uh, due to the widening of these footpaths your views are welcome 1850 333 103 uh, you can text or whatsapp 0862103103 and we're getting calls in from various areas of Mallow asking about having no water I can tell you it's due to a burst of water main and it's causing disruption to the Blackwater Drive area Ballydeheen Shawmodan Park Quarter Town and other areas of Mallow and surrounding areas the works are due to take place until 4 o'clock and and they recommend that when the water does return later, that you allow two to three hours after the restoration time for your supply to fully return. Uh, but that is the reason why there is no water in some areas of Mallow this morning due to that burst water main, that information coming to us from Irish Water. Now, we've had the Jazz Festival at the weekend, which was very successful. And now this week, it's the Mallow Arts Festival. And to look ahead, I'm joined by their chairperson, Ty Curtis. Good morning to you, Ty. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, it must be great this year, Tyke, to be able to organise a physical event where people can physically go along and see the acts this year. It is indeed, John Paul, and we waited for it. Uh, or, usually we would be in July, you know, that is it's mm. our usual date. But we recognised that the restrictions were not going to be lifted sufficiently in July to allow us to go ahead. We then thought of September, but again, Due to the delay in the lifting of restrictions, we postponed until now, Wednesday the 27th of October through to October the 31st, Halloween night. And that enables us to have the festival, to have it in a safe manner. We will be adhering to all the public health regulations, etc. But it will allow people to get out and experience the festival on a physical basis. And Tyg, the Arts Festival has grown so much over the years because Mallow and North Cork itself, the arts scene, it, it's quite large, hasn't it? And to be fair, it's grown over the last number of years as well. It has indeed, and I suppose, you know, we always have had great artists and great musicians. I suppose maybe people weren't as well organised as they would be in Cork City or maybe West Cork, etc. But I think uh, Mallow Arts Collective, which came into being uh, five years ago now, has given them the opportunity for all of us to meet together and to plan together and to hold an event such as this, which is quite wide-ranging throughout all of the different aspects of the art. True, and let's take a look at some of the events that are coming up and the highlights over the next week or so. I mean, you mentioned artists there and local musicians, a number of them across North Cork and a number of concerts to one of them as well. I mean, we have uh, Hank Waddell, well known across uh, not only Cork, but across the country, showcasing some new music on Friday uh, and a great uh, traditional music concert then with Alan Finn and friends, uh, along with a well-known local singer, Anne-Marie O'Reardon. That's on Thursday, but all these, while they're local, uh, they are known and and award-winning across the country, Tyke. Well, that's it. And I think we decided this year that that we would give an extra strong focus to local acts rather than booking in maybe major acts from other parts of the country. Because during the lockdown and all the rest of it, of course, all of our artists have been busy. They've been painting, etc. Our poets and literature people have been composing and writing and our musicians have been getting together new music and we decided that our arts festival this year would be 
a major platform for them to present that and the two acts you spoke about, Hank, with, uh, with Declan Senate, uh, certainly it'll have quite a lot of, of Hank's past catalogue, but equally some new music. And the traditional concert, I think, is going to be a huge success because we have four multi-All-Ireland winning uh, artists taking part in that, uh, Alan Finn, uh, and three friends, and as you said, including Anne Marie O'Riordan, and all of those would have big followings in their own right. So we think that, that that's on Thursday night, uh, nine o'clock in the Hibernian Hotel. We think that that will be a major attraction. Yeah, well, and another attraction from uh, trad to classical music, uh, and this is the great voice of together Owen Leahy, but also Noel Welch. Um, they'll be in concert. I mean, both of those together when they perform, it's just amazing. It's beautiful. They have performed for us live in studio before. Yes, uh, and these are one of the regulars. We don't have too many regulars, I suppose, uh, in the festival, but this certainly is one regular one that we pencil in when we start planning the festival. They've been hugely successful to date with their concert in St. James Church, and they're back again on the Saturday night, uh, as you said, Noel and Owen. And this time they have quite uh, um, a supporting lineup as well, if you like. We have various voices, and we equally have Chabelle, and both of those have followings in their own right. So certainly uh, the rate at which tickets are selling for that demonstrates the popularity of all of those three acts. And then tell us about the busking competition. That's back in the town centre. It is indeed. And uh, again, this is sponsored by Mallow Credit Union. It was very successful the, the two years that we've run it. And again, it allows people, and as I said, people have been composing, have been practising. I have a number of friends that have even taken up musical instruments during the the pandemic, etc. It allows them a chance to perform. And again, they will be assigned uh, a spot in which they will perform for three quarters of an hour. And again, we'll have a number of anonymous judges floating around. And last year, I think we had about 15 competitors and everybody went away with some sort of a prize. We have a decent prize money for it and we have quite a number of categories. And this year it includes uh, also a category for the spookiest Halloween costume worn by a busker. So we hope that when they're playing along, that they'll be suitably dressed, etc., and bring, again, some colour to the, the centre of the sound. Now, while we're in midterm, a lot of people are looking for various items to do with the children across the week. And something that would be of interest is, I think this is on Saturday, is the scavenger hunt. Uh, and that's going ahead. And also you're going to have face painters uh, across Mallow on Saturday. Yes, the scavenger hunt, uh, again, was very popular the last time. And again, uh, what happens there is that children, there are two categories, uh, one for four to seven-year-olds, another for eight to 11-year-olds, and they will report to our festival office. And, and let me say, we have a fantastic festival office this year at 49 Bank Place, which was the old Carphone Warehouse, and that's sponsored by Michael O'Donovan, auctioneer who arranged that for us. And it's worth a lot to have a great festival office like that. People can call in, get details on all the acts, etc. And that will be the assembly point for people wishing to take part in the digital scavenger hunt. They will gather there and it will be hosted by Ronan Leonard. He will give them a list of items that he has discovered throughout the streets of Mallow. And they will go in and try and photograph those on their digital cameras or phones uh, and come back, etc. So there'll be a nice little few prizes. And as you said, they'll, uh, when they're out on the street, they'll be passing face painters, uh, the balloon artists, 
there'll be dancing, the Time of Davis type band will, will be parading, there'll be lucky the poetry, there'll be music, Johnny Bongos and friends will be down further down the town, etc. There'll be craft demonstrations going on. And just let me say in relation to that, because again, it's the last Saturday of the pedestrianisation in Mallow, the programme that we have designed uh, to uh, go on the main street as such is designed to complement and supplement the traders and, and the street itself. So, again, uh, business can continue, and certainly we urge people to come into town, support local business. They've been very good in supporting us, and the activities will not in any way impinge uh, on local business. Very good. And tell us also, Tyg, about the arts exhibitions, because there's a number of them taking place within the festival as well. Uh, some of them are at the West End Art Studios. They are indeed, and the West End Art Studios has been completely refurbished, and there's now two studios there. And and the main studio, such, it'll feature an art exhibition from artists throughout North Cork. So again, there'll be 12 different artists demonstrating there. And in the back, there'll be um, an exhibition from the Mallow Camera Club uh, in Studio 2. And that's all being opened on tomorrow evening by, by the co- Assistant County Arts Officer Maeve Mulrennan. So again, we urge people to come along, see the refurbished studios. Maybe a lot of people haven't been in there. Apart from those two events, there'll be poetry in there. We've had music in there in the past. It's a lovely facility for Mallow, and it's, certainly they want people to visit a- and to avail of it. So again, and just let me say, in addition to that, it isn't all in just in the art studio because equally in Herlihy Centra, there will be an exhibition from the Blackwater Photographic Society, another well-known camera club, and that'll be all along the main windows of Herlihy Centra. Pacquiao Dunno has a photographic exhibition by Kai's Chemist. And in our own festival office, there will be an exhibition from Sabina Lucas and Mary Kent as well. Excellent. So great two camera clubs there involved in the festival and a great mix of music and arts type really isn't there uh, for everything you mentioned there. If people want tickets for the events, um, where can they get them from? And, and many of the a events large, I mentioned are free, aren't they? Uh, some of them are, yes. The traditional concert is, of course. Uh, and, and again, we have a concert in Insomnia who've been great supporters of ours, Long Way Home, um, a, duo, a bluegrass duo, husband and wife now based in Cantorque. Uh, Owen is from the Netherlands and Kylie Kay is from Utah, USA. And, and they have lovely material and that's free, of course. But for the the uh, acts that you have to pay for and and, and uh, tickets are very reasonable. They're all available on eventbrite.ie. And just let me mention one of those again is the return of live drama to Mallow, uh, Fruitcake, which is a one-woman show, show which is very hugely popular and it's presented by Alice Barry. That's in the Hibernian Hotel on Thursday, the 28th of October. And again, tickets on Eventbrite are at the door if still available. Great stuff. Well, as I said, a great mix there, Tyke. So best of luck to you and all involved with the Arts Festival uh, running until the 31st of October. And as I said, as for everybody really, there's something uh, for all the family across the week. So Tyke, uh, best of luck. And if people want more information, they can go on your social medias at Mallow Arts Fest and indeed MallowArtsFestival.com. They can, and they can call to the festival office, particularly 49 Bank Place at the junction of Main Street and Fair Street. It used to be the old Carphone Warehouse. We'll be there from 11 to 4 every day. Plenty of programmes, plenty of information. And I just want to thank yourself, John Paul, for your support as well. We greatly appreciate it. No problem, Tig. Well, best of luck to you. It's great to see uh, festivals like this supporting the arts and back up and running again physically in towns right across Cork and especially here as well in Mallow over the next uh, week. So enjoy it and uh, hopefully all goes well for you guys. And thanks for joining us this morning, Tig.
Thank you. Uh, that is Ty Curtis there, chairperson of the Mallow Arts Festival. And even just speaking about what's coming up, isn't it great to hear uh, events like that back again in our communities right across Cork? I mean, I mentioned earlier about the Scarecrow Festival in Lepp and people being able to go and uh, look at the various scarecrows. And uh, then we have other festivals. We've had the jazz across the weekend. Just to even mention that things are back up and running again, it just uh, really shows how far we have come over the last year. Anyhow, uh, with a lot of calls and comments incoming in on various topics across the morning. One is the footpaths. The footpaths we mentioned earlier from Jim and he is asking about why footpaths are gone so wide and the traffic now can't move in some towns because of this. He gave an example in Kenturk where he had to stop for a truck. We've got a number of calls and texts on that and we'll get to those shortly on the programme. A lot of calls and texts in regarding what we've been speaking about this morning. First of all, footpaths. This was something that came up from Jim and Jim was in traffic this morning in Kenturk and when he was driving through the town, he noticed the footpaths had been made wider, uh, but a truck was coming around the corner and basically he had to stop to give way for the truck. He could not pull in any tighter than he did so that the truck could pass. And we have been inundated with calls and texts from people uh, in towns and villages right across Cork who are experiencing a similar, uh, all because footpaths have been widened. And a lot of this was to do with town regeneration and a lot of it was to do with making the areas more pedestrian friendly and uh, in one report I saw it was to slow down traffic which was coming into a town or a built up area. Uh, so on that a lot of calls in Column and Butterfence uh, and that's the reason Column is giving Column says the reason for this was to slow down the traffic as they entered a built up area that's why the council decided to widen the footpaths but Jay says JP it's a joke what they are doing with the junctions you should see what they have done in Carrick Tool Village where you turn right after the crossing to Barry's Court Bridge the engineers haven't a clue what it's like to drive a truck they're widening the footpaths at the junctions and it's going to cause an accident says Jay on WhatsApp uh, while in Formoy a texter saying we have that here on the Pike Road in Formoy a new footpath which will narrow the road they need to mark the road right says that texter John in Cove he feels footpaths are being widened in Cove and in tourist towns to facilitate the visitors the paths in Cove have been widened and it's causing problems for motorists as the town is so hilly says John in Cove while Michael is in Bandon and he says here's another example of crazy white footpaths JP it's the new one in Bandon on Market Street in front of the new primary care centre it has narrowed the road so much and made it very dangerous particularly at the junction in front of the church steps I've seen a few near misses there it's crazy and I blame the desk planners says Michael who know absolutely nothing about the situation on the ground we are all encouraged to support local but if the traffic situation does not improve, uh, well, it just does the opposite. It's brainless, uh, says Michael on a text to 0862 uh, Just a selection of your comments in regarding the widening of footpaths in towns, which is causing a lot of anger among motorists. And many people all in the same vein here from various towns saying that it will cause an accident and they have seen near misses because of what has happened with those footpaths. Uh, Michael uh, is in the Clonakilty area and on the footpaths he's asking are people allowed to cycle 
on footpaths and go the wrong way down a one-way road. Uh, there's a lot of that going on in Clonakilty. Well, on the one-way road thing, the same laws apply. No one, regardless of what you're on, should be going down a one-way road. But on the cycling on a footpath, uh, on, uh, what the law says is, and I checked this out, it says regulations makes it an offence to cycle on a footpath unless you are entering or exiting a property. Uh, but with that, I would always say in some instances, and we have seen this ourselves, it's safer for the cyclist to be on the footpath rather than be on the road, even though it's not legal. It makes more sense in certain roads, whether they be in a town or a city, that the cyclist be on the footpath. But then when the cyclist is on the footpath, they must give way and be generous to the walkers and the pedestrians who were on that footpath as well. Uh, so, but it is, you're not supposed to, it's a leak, it's an offence uh, if you are cycling on a footpath. But again, I would really wonder if, if the cyclist can't go anywhere else, is it safer for them and safer for the motorist, for the cyclist to be on the footpath, even though it is uh, an offence to do so. Uh, and you would hope that would be taken into consideration if any body was to be uh, prosecuted for that, um, even though I'm sure the Gardaí have enough in their plate at the moment without going around trying to catch cyclists out. Anyhow, uh, thank you for your call and thanks on footpaths which a lot of people are angry over and it seems it's the way it's going to go looking at all the new development plans for towns they are looking at widening footpaths uh, and that's the way it seems to be uh, going in, in towns at the moment anyhow and we'll look into that in more detail after the show uh, earlier on there we had a call from Anne and this was to do with a person who was in, that she knew that was in a hospital uh, taken from Mallow to the Mercy but they could not get all his medical details in the Mercy and the man remained in pain over the weekends because they had to get the correct medical details uh, from the hospital in Mallow and obviously the offices or a certain department wasn't opened uh, until Monday. Um, so someone was back obviously for the bank holiday yesterday and gave the details to the Mercy so that man was given pain relief. Now I do presume with something to do with whatever medication that man was on that they had to double check if he was allergic to any medication or had any reaction to medication or what he was already on and we all know what medication we all have our own names for the tablets but the doctors and nurses they will need the exact name uh, and some of those tablets that people are on you know yourself they can be 17 letter words and, and some of them you try and pronounce them and you could be pronouncing it in a different way than what it is but anyhow uh, on that first of all a lot of people are reacting to there should be some system I thought it was I thought I presume that if whatever hospital you were in in the country uh, that the, the, whatever your details were on a system that the system was accessible in every hospital but it must not be if that's the case from that man but on this a person here who feels very strongly says a person should have all their own information issued to them what's the idea of keeping it for medical people it is condescending to patients even if you took your car to a garage you would get information relating to the car it wouldn't be a guarded secret between mechanics overlooking the car owner so wake up to your rights patient demand what is yours by right um, well on that I, I presume if you wanted your information you could get it and I'm, I'm sure many, any doctors I've spoken to in the past they're actually happier when you have the information with you uh, but in an emergency situation if someone is brought in an ambulance like that man was I think maybe the last thing on that person's mind was checking uh, what tablets they're on and, and medical tablets uh, and I'm not too sure what family that person had around them at the time to check all that out so I presume that's what happened there uh, but then do they need to physically still check with uh, a doctor in another hospital to make sure everything is right. I'm not too sure but that person feels everybody should be have their own information to hand uh, with them. And Michael uh, says, listening to the news there on the medical records, they're obviously the way to go 
but with more safeguards and protections. Let's not forget the chaos of the HSE hack earlier this year. I also would like to raise the fact that South Dock doctors don't have access to the medical note of patients attending out-of-hour services, which can be a disaster for both patients and doctors. I would like other people's, I would like other options on this, uh, says Michael. Uh, and yeah, I suppose in doctor surgery, then it maybe is different whereby you have your own system in that surgery. But then if you go to an out-of-hour out of service, they aren't able to access what notes your doctor would have in the system. Anyhow, uh, your thoughts and comments on hospitals on air. And we did this on the show a few weeks ago. We covered this. A listener a, has been on via WhatsApp to say, I got a letter from air saying six euro will be added to my bill from the 8th of November. What is that all about? Well, we had a lot of calls about that over the last two or three weeks. We did contact AIR. There is a charge, an increase. And it's not only AIR, by the way. It seems to be the majority of phone and broadband providers. But on AIR, from the callers that we had, they did contact AIR. Now, you will be waiting for 15 to 20 minutes, but all our callers did contact AIR and they did speak to them and they got that resolved either by going on a new package, which was the same price as the rolls, but they had the same service. So they didn't intake that six euro. What happened was they did basically set up a new contract. So if their contract was ending in February, for example, and they decided to go with this new offering from AIR, then they set up a new contract. So it's now going from November to November. Uh, so bear that in mind that if you think you're still leaving them in February or not, you're, you're signing up to new contracts. And also in those letters, it should say on that letter that if you're not happy with this, you can leave them. You can break your contract because AIR are breaking the contract by increasing the money. So you can always leave them and shop around for better offers. And there is some good offers out there at the moment. And I got a similar letter and I know we got calls from Vodafone. I'm with Vodafone for uh, phone broadband and TV and a very similar letter to, to, to this person on WhatsApp and I rang them up and the guy said like what Air was saying to their customers was um, if you want to stay with us you will start a new contract from now for the year and it's the same price um, that I'm paying a 40 euro a month and I get the same services but I got a, a high speed broadband now uh, do I need it? Not really but the price stays the same rather than an increasing of 6 or 7 euro that I was due to get but the, the broadband is fast it's going through the Cyro network and it's with Vodafone so uh, it seems to be not only you it's a lot of people getting this letter from phone companies but from our experience with callers to the show and our own experience here I would ring them yes you will be waiting that 15-20 minutes yes you'll have to press the one, twos, and 3s but when you get through to someone they will offer you something and more or less uh, you'll be on the same package you were why they're doing that I don't know uh, and, and maybe people not everybody will ring them and, and go to that extreme and, and people won't wait on the phone so they know they'll make money I'm not too sure uh, but I would advise you to ring your phone provider in your case it's air and I know a lot of people have been getting those letters from all companies uh, in particular though Vodafone and air hopefully that helps you out and can we help this person out because a man's silver ring was found in Danos car park that's Danos super value car park in Mallow at the weekend if you have uh, lost the silver ring and you can't find it well maybe give us a ring here we can pass on the person who has that ring to you and we're going back to the farming issue very shortly because this is something we discussed at the very start of the show and a lot of calls and texts regarding this the farming and agricultural community not happy of what has been proposed and this is uh, the aim to reduce emissions by 4.8% a year up to 2025 the target would increase to 8.3% a year and 
people have mixed views on this while everybody wants to deal with climate change basically this will hit the farming community uh, more so than others and while they yet much print I suppose and publish the targets in the coming weeks for all the various sectors affected by this in Ireland uh, farmers feel they will be worse hit uh, from what has been proposed at the moment we heard uh, from farmers earlier on the show we're going to hear from more farmers very shortly your views are welcome 1850 I think it's something that we'll be discussing for a lot of uh, the, the week across the weekend uh, for the next few months because people are just so enraged by what is proposed but on this uh, a call from Mora in Cecilstown Morris says if any of those politicians in the Dáil came down to the country for a few weeks they would know what it's all about. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to know what we are all talking about on the ground. The best potatoes and veg are grown from cattle waste and all of this needs to be taken into account. We'll discuss that shortly. And also after 12.30 we're going to be joined by our regular show councillor Joe Heffernan and we'll continue our discussion with Joe on anxiety. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. In Skibbereen, they will remember local people within a 10-mile radiance who passed away during the pandemic. That will happen this Thursday from 7 o'clock. They will finish with readings, songs and music in the Fairfield in Skib. And if you would like to have someone included in the commemoration, you can email their name and address and more information to Skibbereen Memorial at gmail.com Kildare Community Development they will hold their weekly lotter draw that's going ahead this Thursday at 4pm in the community office and this week's jackpot is €3,900 Donnerell Active Retirement Group they will meet in the Presentational Pastoral Centre on Monday the 1st of November at 3 o'clock and the Dickie Dip is a fundraiser for male cancer care in the Marsher Public Hospital and it takes place on Saturday the 6th of November Mick McCabe from Lachines near Skibbereen will take part in his own area and you can support him and donate by searching for Dickie Dip online. Monies raised will go towards prostate screening equipment in the Martyr Public Hospital. And Mallow GAA Bingo is starting back on this Friday night at 8.15pm. Covid certs must be shown on entry. A bus will run from the usual route from Mallow, Kilavolan, and Donrail, and that's for the Mallow GA Bingle back this Friday night. Court today on C one o three. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. Oh eight six two one o three one o three. And something we discussed last week, and Mary's raising it. She says that she went to Mallow on Saturday, and the street closure, nothing happening. She felt so sorry for the traders. Now, there's mixed views on this because we did discuss it in detail with two sides, the council and traders, on the show last week, and many people welcome this. They feel it's good for Mallow. That's a great atmosphere. While some of the traders feel they're losing out because people are coming to Mallow spending their money in the town but not going physically into the shops and that was the issue but I mean again as and even for the Mallow Arts Festival uh, they're encouraging people to go into the shops and spend and there'll be a great atmosphere for that festival this weekend in Mallow but they are encouraging people to you know that it's not going to be anything against the traders and that was pointed out earlier when we were discussing uh, what's coming up for the festival so 
Yeah, there is mixed views on the whole uh, pedestrianisation of streets and how it does affect businesses. I suppose this is the last weekend of it anyway for Mallow, so uh, we'll see if there's a change around after that. But yeah, it is a a hot topic for many towns right across the county and on the issue of uh, footpaths and cars and trucks that are unable to get around towns due to uh, the widening of footpaths in many of our towns right across Cork. A texter here, this is Jay on text, who says, if people didn't abandon cars in Canton, Turk traffic would flow coming over Canturk Bridge to go down Strand Street. In the worst case is cars parked on the double yellow lines outside AIB while people go uh, to the nearby either Bookies or the ATM. There's also a loading bay there which is constantly being used by selfish drivers denying van drivers parking who then get grief when they double park. I have observed that that is usually uh, the way and it's not older drivers it's young fit drivers that also abuse this system says Jay on text while Amanda on the issue of bikes Amanda says there was she was in the town over the weekend and there was one person on a bike with a dog running beside him and they were going extremely fast and then she says another person another man this was he had some sort of box trailer behind him uh, Amanda says it's not funny anymore there seems to be nothing done about bikes on the road and uh, something needs to be done says Amanda on WhatsApp to 0862103103 and mixed views regarding uh, bikes on footpaths and indeed on the roads and the widening of footpaths then and the effect that's happening on motorists and indeed on truck drivers are more so but going back to something we discussed at the start of the show and this is how the Climate Change Advisory Council has issued its recommendation on carbon budgets to the government a lot of this though is hitting the agricultural community and there's a fear then of the knock-on effect that will have on the economy not only in rural areas but across the country and farmers are being worse hit on this and we heard from farmers this morning uh, more now joining us one uh, farmer who has spoken to us before on the show is Helen O'Sullivan who joins me. Good afternoon to you, Helen. Good afternoon, John Paul. Uh, Helen, you were very active at the time of the beef protests uh, when they were taking place right across the country and many people this morning are saying that we produce some of the best beef in the world and are we now going to hinder our food producing here in this country because of what has been proposed by that Climate Change Advisory Council and that farmers will lose out because another country is waiting in the wings and they will go and they won't be worried about green emissions coming out from their country they won't be as green as Ireland are they will take up what Ireland is losing That's right John Paul Uh, in fact we are amongst one of the most efficient and environmentally sustainable food producers in the world we're the most efficient in Europe for dairy production and the second most efficient in Europe for beef production so that in itself will tell you how efficient we are here in Ireland for producing the best food in the world Um, this is the problem if we don't produce the food here in Ireland John Paul they will produce it somewhere else for example, like in Brazil, where they're currently cutting down, you know, the forests, which are our world's lungs, to produce um, unregulated beef. Here in Ireland, we have fully traceable beef and milk, and like I say, it's the best in the world. So I think it would be an awful shame, you know, at the moment I feel there's an awful lot of animosity towards farmers. We seem to be blamed for this climate change, and there is no credit given to us whatsoever. And where is that animosity coming from, do you think, Helen? Well, for example, John Paul, like every evening we put on the RT News, the 9 o'clock news, George Lee is on how depressing the whole climate change thing is and it's all down to the farmers. If You, you know, any programme you watch on television, listening to people that don't seem to understand the farming community, it's all our fault. Um, you know, but there's no one out there, you know, telling about the good that we do. For example, the amount of carbon sequestration that we do, like, for example, 
an acre of forest, you know, removes three tonnes of carbon per year. Uh, an acre of grassland removes one and a half tonnes of carbon per year. And, you know, there's no mention of all of this. And also, we have invested hugely in, um, you know, slurry storage, low emission slurry spreading, you know, to produce this finest food in the world. So, again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, untrue allegations being made, I think, towards the farming community. And this morning when we were discussing this earlier, a lot of farmers say they have diversified. A lot of people have solar panels in their fields. They have changed the way they do business for the better of the environment. And some will say they will continue to do more. But again, the bottom line is we still need to produce food and that is what we do the best in this country. Uh, would you agree with many on that? I mean, can farmers do better and how much better can they do? I mean, is this answer from the Climate Change Advisory of cutting the national herd and then looking at our food production? I mean, is it just simply ticking boxes? Well, I think, you know, we all need to play our part in this, John Paul. It's not just the farmers. Okay, yes, we are. We have some emissions and we are working very closely with our farm organisations and we are doing a lot of work as it is. But we're not the only sector in the country that are, you know, producing these emissions. You have transport, you have aviation, you know, and there there doesn't seem to be so much focus on those. Whereas, in fact, you know, like, we have invested hugely, like I said, in, in infrastructure, uh, slurry storage, low emission slurry spreading, uh, biodiversity. We've incorporated multi-species swarts in our grasslands. We've put in clover to help with nitrogen. There are several things we've done. We've worked on our waterways. And, you know, we produce, we produce fantastic food very efficiently. As Salem said earlier on, we're the only country in the world, but all with grass and with, with water. Uh, you go to other countries and they are they have all the cattle inside in sheds where they're force feeding them with grain and whatnot. So we we are the only country that can produce this food. And I think going forward from an economic point of view, you know, instead of getting us to cut down on our numbers, uh, we should grow our agri exports because we have the best food in the world. And if we don't do it, they will get some other country to do it, to do it anyway. Well, that's the fear a lot of people have pointed out this morning and they're not from the farming community. They have said if we stop our own production, well, then are we going to import food and where is the benefit of that? Because then you're, you know, you're bringing food in via aeroplanes. You are still adding uh, to climate uh, and you're not really going the green way if you're bringing planes into this country with food rather than us producing it ourselves. So, yeah, that's it, it does. That's very true, John Paul. Uh, yeah. to you there. But like already in the peat situation, you know, they have mm. stopped, you know, at Borna Mona and yet they're yeah. imported in from Poland and different countries and like your carbon footprint there is huge. But I feel going forward for Ireland to meet our targets for 2030 and 2050, I think farmers will play a very big role in that. And I'll tell you why. Um, there doesn't seem to be much talk about anaerobic digestion. And I think that is going to play a very big role in getting us to meet our targets. And why that is, um, John Paul, is because anaerobic digesters produce renewable energy. And how do you do that? It's by feeding it with slurry, grass, silage, uh, energy crops such as willow or miscanthus, and also for food waste, which would help in the food industry. Um, to me, it's a win-win situation, but there doesn't seem to be much talk about it. And have farming groups put this to the various government bodies? It seems to be more kind of wind energy and solar, which is fine, don't get me wrong, but just going referencing by this year, Ireland did not produce enough wind, so they had to start a money point again. So with the anaerobic digesters, you are guaranteed renewable energy. And all you have to do is provide that with your slurry, your grass, your silage, poultry litter, whatever you may have. So I think this is going to be a win-win situation going forward, John Paul, because 
we need to produce renewable energy. This is a guaranteed source. Our farmers can provide us with the slurry, with the grass, the silage, you know. Mm. You have a lot of farmers that might be only kind of, they call them summer farmers or perhaps maybe armchair farmers. And these are ones that are only just buying cattle for seven months of the year to draw down their payments. Whereas if there's an option put in place where they could set, you know, these energy crops or even grow grass to uh, feed it onto this and a grow digester, and if they got paid for that instead of having the cattle, you know, not only would you be cutting your numbers down slightly. Yeah, and that would create energy then and, you, and you're, you're, yeah, you're buying into the whole uh, climate change and what the advisory yeah. council are saying. Yeah, yeah. And not only would we be helping our own, doing our own part in agriculture, which we're doing already and there is no mention about, but we would also be helping with transport, biomethane, perfect solution. You would be helping with heating and housing. You know, we can, we can convert this, we can sell this onto the grid, produce enough electricity for our own country and then go on to export it. And you know? when you mentioned those solutions there, which hopefully will be brought to the government now when they're discussing this uh, over the next week or so, uh, are you fearful? I was speaking to Phelan about this earlier on. Are you fearful for the future of farming now, something we discussed a number of years ago when you were worried about the beef industry and a lot of the younger people in farming were thinking of leaving the industry because of what was happening? Looking at this now today and all the coverage that is coming out, is something, again, that farmers, when it comes to succession, are are wondering if their son or daughter will actually now take over the farm or are they looking at this going as too much, you know, too much hassle? Yes, it's very fearful, John Paul, and very worrying for every farmer here in this country. Um, like I say, we all seem to be targeted to be the baddies and all this, when in fact we're not. Like I say, I think we're the only ones that can turn this around for Ireland. Um, going back there to the data centres, I mean, we're the main hub in Europe for data. Hmm. So how much, how much energy is that using? And there isn't a mention about that. There's not a mention about aviation, nothing. But it just always seems to be the farmer's fault, which I think is very wrong. And every farmer is worried about their son or daughter going forward because we don't know what the future holds. Um, like, we are the best producing country in the world, and yet we're being kind of targeted as if we're the worst in the world for climate change. We can make a big change here. We need government support. There doesn't seem to be a political environment towards anaerobic digesters. I don't know why. But we need to have everybody on board and we need to, you know, we need to work on this together. And we shouldn't be pitting farmers against each other, dairy farmers against beef farmers or sheep farmers. Like a lot of, since the dairy uh, quota was abolished in 2015, an awful lot of farmers invested heavily. You have young farmers that went into dairy for the first time. They have invested hugely, John Paul. How do you expect those people to cut down, you know, to help to be part of cutting down the emissions of 21 to 30 percent by 2030? It's just not realistic. They've invested hugely in property infrastructure. You know, building up a herd. It's just, it's not realistic, John Paul. Yeah. And, and you know? do you think, Helen, when you mentioned that there, and Jim is texting this question as well, is it time that to tackle the intensive beef and, and the industrial dairy style farms that are out there? Because Jim and others on text feel that these are the ones that are con- contributing, first of all, but also are causing a lot of these uh, gases that uh, the Climate Change Advisory Council want to change. Well, John Paul, the, the beef and gas only last in the environment for about 10 years carbon dioxide lasts in the environment for over 200 years. And we do a lot of carbon sequestration, like I mentioned earlier on, and you need to have good, healthy grasslands for that. If you just list your grass, if you've no farmers and the whole place becomes overgrown, the carbon sequestration won't take place because, you know, you need to have the grass grazed. The more the grass is grazed, the more it'll intake, whereas if it's overgrown, it won't be, it won't be, you know, it'll just all rot away and you won't be able to take up as much sequestration like that. We've planted trees, you know, numerous trees. We, we're Every farmland you'll go into, you'll see loads of trees. 
the, our waterways are perfect. You know, the farmers are playing a huge, huge role. I'm very fearful for the future of farmers because if this will happen like the, the beef industry, when that was closed down, you know, all those people got a business. If farmers got a business, it's going to be a huge knock-on effect in our rural mm. um, environment. I mean, we play a big role in our rural economy. We keep a lot of people in, in employment, John Paul. You know, is there any consideration taken into this? You there will be a huge knock-on effect if it does go down this route. Uh, hopefully those ideas you have, the farmers will bring those to the table and that, that they will be discussed from the various farming groups to uh, the governments uh, when they decide what's going to happen over the next few weeks. We will hear what the targets for individual sectors will be this week. For the moment, Helen, I must move on. Uh, but thanks for joining us on the comment line. Uh, Helen O'Sullivan, they're a farmer, uh, just showing the frustration that farmers are having hearing this news uh, today on what has been agreed and what yet will be agreed when, with the targets for the individual sectors but what has come out across the weekend as well. Uh, you can email us across the evening if you are a farmer and have strong views like Helen uh, Cork today at c103.ie I have a number of emails on people who are going along to medical appointments and feel that they should like everybody should be given their medical files they have a load of those which we'll have to carry to tomorrow's show and also on roads uh, as well and roads unfinished and widening up footpaths in towns we'll get to those on the show tomorrow but I must move on and we'll join Joe Heffernan next as we just continue uh, our discussion on anxiety Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 and we have a number of comments in on the farming industry and what we'll be discussing across the show. If we don't get to those before one, we will uh, continue those comments on tomorrow's show. But we want to join Joe Heffernan, our regular councillor on the show as we do each and every week. And we're going to continue our conversation with Joe on what we were discussing last week. And this is with regards to anxiety. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, JP. And now, and, you, um, you'd a bit of anxiety. If I could just say thank you. Yeah. Um, to a young lady called Shauna in the Wild Goose restaurant in Mellow. Um, we had a lovely lunch there last Saturday. When I was paying at the desk, I left my wallet on the counter and um, I straight away afterwards got a phone call, called and uh, she had my wallet for me, for which I am very grateful. Fair play, so, Shauna in the Wild that. Goose. Yeah. Well done. And did you notice you had the, the wallet missing or? No, I didn't no. until I got a phone call. <laughs> so you had no anxiety so <laughs> until you got the phone call? <laughs> I had I, I, I had for a moment um, <laughs> when I realised then that I hadn't it, but it all worked out it well. It worked out well. Because of her quick action and, um, and uh, uh, yeah... Oh, well, well done she's to Shauna. No problem. She's well, she's excellent, and all the gang there at the Wild Goose uh, Restaurant yeah. in Mallow. But we, we'll stick with anxiety because we, we were discussing last week the topic of anxiety, which mm. a lot of people uh, feel they're going through at the moment with things changing and people out and about now again. And uh, I suppose here, Joe, we need to decide if we can help a person if they need to address if they are having a, maybe a panic attack or an anxiety problem. And you have four yeah. questions here that you want to go through, and this. Is where people will, will take a yes or a no to decide this. Absolutely. And the first three are extremely straightforward. It's either yes or no. And they are, do you have spontaneous anxiety attacks that come out of the blue? Yes or no. Two, have you had at least one such attack in the last month? Yes or no. Three, If you had an anxiety attack in the last month, 
did you worry about having another one? Um, or did you worry about the implications of your uh, attack uh, for your physical or mental health? Yes or no? Now, if a person has answered yes to the three of those, well then, in your worst experience um, of uh, that uh, anxiety panic attack, um, would you have experienced three or more of the following symptoms? Three or more. This is now depending on you having answered yes to the previous three. Okay. Would you have experienced three of these? Shortness of breath or smothering sensation? Dizziness or an unsteady feeling? Heart palpitations, rapid heartbeat? Trembling or shaking? Sweating? Choking feeling? Nausea or or abdominal distress? Feelings of being detached or out of touch with your body? Numbness or tingling sensations? Flushes or chills? You know, very hot or very cold for no obvious reason. Chest pain or discomfort? Fear of dying? Fear of, um, uh, you know, embarrassing oneself um, uh, socially? um, You know, um, doing something out of control? Now, if you had answered yes to the first three questions, and if, you're expe- and if you have experienced three or more of the symptoms just mentioned, well then, yes, you do have a problem with panic, and you probably should consult your GP and or a counsellor, psychotherapist, maybe look up the IACP uh, website, iacp.ie, and find a counsellor, um, maybe pretty near your home, to save a lot of uh, travel. So, um, that's that part of it, uh, JP. Um, and Joe, if someone is, as you said, has answered yes to one of those, what if you maybe have answered yes to one of those and no to others, but still feel that anxiety is something that does catch you? Maybe not as much as what we've gone through there. Uh, would you still encourage people to go and, and chat to someone about this? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we're kind of talking there about almost, we'll say, a panic disorder. Mm. Um, uh, if one is, um, you know, ticking yes to all of what we uh, called out there. But, um, I mean, if a person is suffering, and I mean suffering, uh, from uh, anxiety to the point where their uh, life is... Um, you know, being um, adversely affected, well then, yeah, yeah. To We always say, don't we, first port to call the, G- the GP and then um, maybe um, uh, attend uh, uh, someone in the um, counselling psychotherapy uh, area because, as we know at the moment and through no fault of their own, um, GPs are overworked, very overworked, doing their level best and doing a great job. But, um, you know, the, uh, um, the, 
the system of, you know, going in and having a right good old chat um, face-to-face with the GP, um, that's not always available now. Um, so maybe one has to circumvent that, but at least to phone the GP and maybe the GP would um, would do a referral on um, or whatever is, is necessary. Mm. But more certainly, JP, if you were... If you had the first three, all yes. And if you had more than three or three or more of the symptoms we called out there, well then, uh, yeah, it needs to be attended to. Now, let me stress immediately and straight away that um, uh, a panic attack is not, and it doesn't lead to, either a physical or psychiatric illness. So let's put that one to bed anyway straight away. It's just, um, basically, it's a result of an over-arousal of the physical flight or fight response to danger, um, which is our great friend. The old amygdala in the brain says, danger here, and uh, we there's a rush of adrenaline to... Um, to the body for flight, our fight, and and that's our great friend. That helps us big time. If we're in a field and there's a bull charging, we need that badly. But if all of those symptoms um, uh, become present and there's no danger and there's no bull in the field, well, then uh, we're dealing then with... Um, uh, I suppose, erroneous messages from the part of the brain that warns us, the amygdala, to the body, and the body responds. And so it's important to say that um, the anxiety lies in the body rather than in the mind. So deep breathing exercises, which we discussed last week um, with uh, Patricia, um, uh, would be the the way to go rather than just saying, calm down, calm down, calm down. In fact, uh, all the exhortations to, to calm down can actually make the thing um, uh, worse. Okay, Joe, well, good advice there on that and hopefully that has helped uh, a number of people the, this afternoon when we discuss anxiety there and indeed uh, panic attacks. And before I let you go, Joe, and this is, we've only about 40 seconds left, but mm. uh, a person on WhatsApp wants to get your intake on this because they connected with an old friend via Twitter. Now, he looked her up to meet for a coffee. They did. She got delayed meeting up because she had to get a parking disc, but when she arrived in, uh, he was already eating his own stuff, so she ordered her own. That, you know, didn't mind her. Uh, but when they were sitting down basically there was a lack of interaction he was looking at his phone more than uh, discussion even though he wanted to meet up he, she just wanted your uh, take on this in, in, in less than 30 seconds Joe if you can well look when we um, I think it's um, quite frankly I, I think good manners would suggest that we attend to the person that we're with rather than uh, looking at a screen um, it can't be that madly urgent unless we get a text or are expecting a text from a family member or something like that. But, I mean, it's not the time to be looking up, I don't know. Um, well, she thinks uh, he was doing the lotto at the end of it, so that explains a lot. Okay, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that now at all. Mm. So maybe uh, maybe move on and not meet him again. 
Maybe so. Yeah, maybe that's, so. That's all the advice we can get. Yeah, as you say, bad manners. That's what it is. Yeah, just I bad guess. manners. Yeah. 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 Okay, Joe. Well, uh, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon. And as always, Joe, we'll be back again with us next week on the show. And uh, Patricia will be here with you next week. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks, Joe. Joe Heffernan there, of course, who's an accredited counsellor. He's based in Boerbui. And if you want more information, you can contact us here for Joe's number, uh, Bernie, on 1850 or indeed Joe himself on 086-834-8145. That's it. We're back with you next uh, tomorrow uh, from 10 a.m. Until then, Nick Richards is next. Have a great Tuesday afternoon. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.